This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Before we begin, I think it's time for a correction. Last week in the episode on, I believe it was, That's My Mama, I referred to Anna Maria Horsford as Anne-Marie Johnson. That was a mistake on my part. I'm sorry, my bad. I meant to say Anna Maria Horsford who is also a lovely lady. What was that name? Anna Maria Horsford. Anna Maria Horsford? Dear sweet God, just roll the intro. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode 353, submission number 565, Tucker's Witch. Tucker's Witch aired on the CBS television network from October 6, 1982 to June 9, 1983 for 12 episodes. Here's the pitch, guys. Imagine Samantha and Darren from Bewitched, but they're detectives. What? Samantha and Darren from Bewitched, but they're detectives. That sounds very stupid. Yes, it does sound very stupid. But CBS, the network that gave us Cagney and Lacey, thought, you know what? We are living in the prime age of the detective on television. So they decided to give it a shot. And by they, I, of course, mean the creators, William Bast and Paul Hewson. William Bast was an American screenwriter and author who is the biographer of James Dean. And Paul Hewson was his British partner. 
They've got the idea to pair a married couple with one of them being a bit vulnerable and the other one being a bit comedically kooky. But the vulnerable female would have special telepathic, telekinetic, and at least in the pilot, pyrokinetic powers. They would take up residency in the great town of Laurel Canyon, which is just outside of Los Angeles. That would be the premise. I mean, they would play detectives, and it wouldn't be so much a whodunit as it would be a how-did-they-do-it. Because in the intro to every episode, you see a crime in progress. And it would be, you know, a long trip to find out how are Rick and Amanda going to catch this guy before he commits any more crimes? So, who did they get to play Rick and Amanda Tucker? CBS cast a pair of Canadian actors in the leads. Art Hindle as Rick Tucker and Kim Cattrall, podcast favorite, as his wife Amanda. Art was just coming off The Octagon, a Chuck Norris film about a martial artist who has to stop a clan of ninja terrorists. Kim was coming from another movie as well. But we'll come back to that. So CBS commissioned a pilot called The Good Witch of Laurel Canyon. They tested it, and it tested well enough for the network to order a full season of 13 episodes. I gotta be honest. That's a dumb title. The Good Witch Moral Canyon. Like, what the hell does that even mean? Well, it means that there's a witch in Laurel Canyon, and she's not the scary, scary witch. She's Catherine Bell before Catherine Bell was Catherine Bell. Because Catherine Bell plays the Good Witch on Hallmark Channel. So... They screened the pilot, and it did well enough for CBS to commission a full series of episodes. But there was a catch. They wanted a recast. What exactly happened depends on who you ask. According to the New York Times, Kim LeMasters, a CBS executive who helped develop the premise, said that half of the executives didn't like art. He also said that half of the executives didn't like Kim. So logically, they got rid of both of them and replaced them with the equally available Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. And yes, Greg, it is the mom from Seventh Heaven. We talked about her already. Yeah, we already talked about her earlier this year. Go back to the live show we did for Star Trek Four. But hey, Tim Matheson, he's like, what, four years removed from Animal House? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone remembers him from Animal House. I remember him from Animal House. That's right. But I noticed something funny when I was on IMDb. Okay? Now, we all know Catherine Hicks was Andy's mom in the original Child's Wife from 1988. You know that, right? I know this. This is a known fact. Yes. Did you know that Tim Matheson was in the Child's Play remake from 2019? Oh, he's in the remake, the theatrical remake. I thought you were about to talk about no, Chucky. Not, not the show from USA. No, the theatrical remake that MGM did 
that had Aubrey Plaza and Mark Hamill as the voice of Jack. Well, instead of, yeah, instead of the good guy dolls, you had the interactive Bluetooth-enabled buddy dolls. Yeah, because they probably could use the good guy doll because copyright or something. Yeah. So we have Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. We will get back to the cast in a moment. But another equally plausible take comes from Art Hindle himself in an interview with the Toronto Star. All the networks show these pilots to the public that they pick up on the street and they put push-button responses in their hands. They respond to wherever they like the character, don't like the character, or they like the story, don't like the story, like the scene, don't like the scene. She, Kim Cottrell, didn't do too well with these responses, so they replaced her. And I just walked them. I had other things to do, and I didn't really want to get involved with something they were going to start pulling strings all the time. So that's another take. But remember when I said that Kim Cattrall was just getting off of doing a movie? Yes. Third take. From Tom Jicha of the Florida Sun Sentinel. Long before Sex in the City, Kim Cattrall was the victim of one of the most childish episodes in TV history. In the spring of 1982, she was cast to star in a CBS fall series called The Good Witch of Laurel Canyon. That summer, Porky's featured Cottrell, that's right, Porky's, that Porky's, featured Cottrell's racy scene in the gym. Nowadays, a network would do contortions to get a star like that on the air. Back then, the CBS brass ordered the series reshot with a new female lead, which turned out to be Catherine Hicks. It was also retitled Tucker's Witch. The show quickly cratered. So yeah, three different takes on this one sad episode. What do you guys make of it? It didn't hurt her career. Didn't hurt her career. She, of course, can be seen and heard nowadays on Hulu's How I Met Your Father. And, of course, we all remember Kim as one of the uh, leads in the only 80s movie that matters, 1987's Mannequin. Which is now on HBO Max. Which is now on HBO Max. Along with that god-awful, why the hell did they make that sequel, Mannequin 2, on the move? No, seriously, why in God's name did they move? Anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're now sorry, have... Ken Levine. You've had a great career, but why? <laughs> so anyway, back to the cast here. Rounding out the cast would be Lieutenant Sean Fisk, played by Bill Morey. Bill Morey, unfortunately no longer with us. He was known as the Deacon in Death Race 2000. He played Mutt, Ricondo, and Colonel Slash in G.I. Joe. And he played Mr. Rivers in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. The Tucker's secretary, Marsha Fulbright, is played by Alfre Woodard and... Come on, I really don't need to go over Alfrey Woodard's career. We would be here all day. She's a legendary actress. And rounding out the cast is Amanda's mother, Rick's mother-in-law, 
Ellen Hobbs, played by Barbara Barry, a.k.a., if I'm not mistaken, Barney Miller's wife, at least for the first few episodes. It's like she was a regular on the show for the first season and the second season, and then they went to uh, recurring characters when they started to focus the show more on the precinct. But yeah, Barbara Berry played Amanda Tucker's mother. So, what kind of shenanigans would Rick and Amanda get themselves into? Well, let's find out with both the unaired pilot and the recast pilot, which was basically the same episode. Shot for shot, scene for scene remake. Rick and Amanda Tucker investigate a series of murders involving women in elevators after a woman comes to their office claiming that she knows who the killer is. In the process, they tangle with the deceptively friendly killer. You wouldn't believe me if I told you who the killer was. Okay. Who is the killer? I guarantee you that the whole deceptively friendly is bullcrap. I bet you this is a terrifying person. Well, the guy's name is Danny Kirkwood. Oh, that sounds like a scary name. Sounds like a scary name, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah, Kirkwood. Oh, that's, that's a scary name. He's played by Ted Danson. What? Wait, Sam Malone is Sam the Malone. killer. Is the killer in the pilot episode? Yes, Sam Malone, the guy from CSI, the guy from The Good Place, Ted Danson, one of the three men and a baby, dude. Oh my god, this is horrible news. I have to tell Tom Selleck and Steve Kutenberg about this. Oh, jeez. Hold on. We didn't mention Becker. We didn't mention oh. Becker, of course. Or Mr. Mayor, or The I, Good Place. Thank you. I was going to say, what about uh, Mr. We did Mayor? mention The Good Place. We didn't mention Mr. Mayor, but we did mention The Good Place. We're not going to mention Whoopi Goldberg, though. You oh no! Girl. No no no! I'm. We're not going to talk about that one thing with Whoopi Goldberg that one time. No 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 no! On the bus no, did an no, entire episode no. about that. We're no, not no. talking about that. They were a couple at one time, if you remember. But we'll just keep it at that. No no no! That's right, Jack. No no no! But yeah, that was the pilot. They did a shot-for-shot, scene-for-scene remake. I want to say most of it was basically Power Rangered together with the new scenes featuring Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. Or at least nowadays it would be. This is what we in the uh, B-movie world would refer to as Godfrey Owing. Episode 2, Big Mouth, somebody is trying to knock off reporter Jewel Porter, and Rick and Amanda must find out who it is before it's too late. So who is Jewel Porter, and who's trying to knock her off? Jewel Porter, played by Elizabeth Wilson, she was in The Graduate as Mrs. Braddock. She was in Quiz Show as Dorothy Van Doren. She was oh! in the Adams Family. Yep, yep. 
she was in the Adams family as Abigail Craven. But here's the deal. She was Roz in nine to five. Oh, that's terrific. Roz in nine to five. Among the uh, familiar faces in this episode is a guy named Andre, played by Paul Regina, who would go on to be one of the three brothers in Brothers. But Greg, Mike, we talked about him before, or we will talk about him eventually, sorry, because he played the titular son in future entry, Zorro and Son. Oh my god. Zorro and Son. Yeah. Greg, that was my reaction too. Zorro and Son. Zorro had a son? Zorro had a son. And playing Nathan Bly, who is the murderer in this episode, Murray Matheson, who was in, let's see, 16 episodes of Banachek, an episode of One Step Beyond, an episode of Battlestar Galactica, but he played Mr. A.G. in the Twilight Zone, the movie. What segment? Kick the can. Oh, yes, that's the Steven Spielberg segment of the Twilight Zone movie. Yes. But a familiar face in one of the bit roles, playing a secretary, Liz Sheridan. Maybe making a case for the Hall of Fame? Oh, I think she's definitely uh, making a good case for the Hall of Fame. Talk about Mrs. Akmanik. Yeah. And Jerry's mom. Well, and Jerry's mom. But yeah, people of a certain age would remember her as Mrs. Akmanik on Elf. Por que no los dos? It can be both. Hey, one more name, though. This is loaded with uh, guests. Playing Terry Porter. Going to assume the husband of Jewel Porter is Ty Andrews. We've talked about him in the past. Don't remember where. But where you would know him from is he was on the Mod Squad. He was Captain Adam Greer on the Mod Squad. But also, just because I love doing this anytime uh, this comes up, guys, I hope you're sitting. He was on a week of Beat the Clock in 1979. Woo! Oh, that's great. I bet you he did beat that clock. Beat that clock within an inch of its life. Episode 3. The Corpse Who Knew Too Much. After an attempt on her husband's life, Debbie Shears leads Rick and Amanda on an investigation that reveals Debbie's husband had an entirely different life than previously known. Debbie Shears. Played by Dorothy Fielding, known for Fright Night, Kiss Me Goodbye, and Remington Steel. Well, one episode of Remington Steel. She played a doctor in three episodes of Seen Elsewhere in 1983. And really, she was pretty much a that lady from that thing, except she played Sarah Dancy in 312 episodes of The Doctors. Not the talk show, The Doctors, the soap opera, The Doctors, obviously. Oh, there was a soap opera called The Doctors. Yep. And her husband, Larry, was played by Sam Wiseman, 
who directed 1997's George of the Jungle and 1994's D2, The Mighty Ducks. Oh, that's terrific. D2, The Mighty Ducks. Where for some reason, Iceland is the big heel in junior kids hockey. I don't know why. Maybe it's because, okay, the Cold War is over. We can't really use Russia as a hockey villain anymore. Let's just pick any old country. Okay, Iceland, that's fine. We can't use Russia because the Cold War is over. We can't use Germany because the wall came down. We can't use Norway because, come on, it's Norway. What did they ever do to you? But also, I'd be remiss to not mention Keenan's knuckle puck in D2, the mighty ducks. Oh, boy. A couple of other faces uh, playing a role named Sturges is Blake Clark, who we talked about in Women in Prison. And? Oh, oh it goes did. beyond that. There's more. It's, yeah, not just an and. Uh, There's he more. Did. He was on the match game hot squares hour. We all know this. Uh, yes, we do. Yes, well, we keep do. going. There's more than that. Keep going. There is? Oh, well, he was the voice of Slinky the Dog in Toy Stories 3 and 4. There's even more than that. Yeah, what? Really? Really? Do I need to fill in the gaps for you? Oh, yes. my gosh. He was Farmer Fran and the Water Boy. Oh, that's right. I forgot that's about right. that. There you go. Yeah. And, and... He was Harry on Home Improvement. He was the owner of the hardware store that Tim Taylor used to go to. That's right. Yeah, I told you. A couple of major ands there for Blake Clark. He was also in perhaps a future entry, Smilf. Oh, it's on the list. Oh, Smilf is on the list. I know it is. Smilf! Smilf. What is the pot Smilf? You don't have Showtime? No, I don't have Showtime. Oh, that's the one thing you don't have. It, it's, yeah, sort of essentially right there in the name. Oh, wait, I do have Showtime. It's just I don't watch Showtime. It's in oh. the name. Single Mom is Losing Faith. Well, what'd you think I was going to say? That's definitely on the list. Hey, do you guys want one more name? Not a big name in terms of acting, but a name nonetheless. Playing Harmony this episode is Bruce Kirby. Not known for a heck of a lot in terms of acting, but you'd know him as Bruno Kirby's dad. Oh! Bruno? You know who Bruno Jack Kirby, Kirby is, right? Jack Kirby? Bruno Kirby? You know, Bruno Kirby, he was like in City Slickers. I know who he is. And one more name. Playing the role of George Fowler, Lawrence Pressman from Doogie Hauser and Heart of Dixie, and Nine to Five as Dick. He played a guy named Dick in Nine to Five. Nowadays, he can be seen as Jerry in the recently canceled series reboot on Hulu. I guess. Paul Reiser and Judy Greer and Keegan Michael Key and Rachel Bloom. You forgot about Rachel. I, Bloom. I was trying to remember her name. If Rachel Bloom is listening, I'm so sorry. Lots of names on this episode. Any more names on the next episode? Let's find out. It is 
the curse of the Toltec Death Mask. A stolen Indian artifact nicknamed the Toltec Death Mask indirectly leads to a series of murders where the archaeologist who stole it tries to sell it. I gotta point something out here. Here comes the educational moment. The Toltec culture is a pre-Columbian Mesoamerican culture ruled a state centered in Tula, Hidalgo, Mexico during the epiclassic and early post-classic period of Mesoamerican chronology from 950 to 1150, right? Why are they calling this an Indian death mask? Why? Unless they mean the uh, a Native American death mask, perhaps? Because that I can totally understand. But I see Indian death mask, and my mind goes immediately to not Native American, but to India. A Native American death mask is stolen, and all of a sudden everybody is starting to die. No good. So we have a loaded, loaded guest cast here, playing Dr. Wade Harris, the um, archaeologist in question, David Spielberg. David Spielberg is one of those people who is a little bit of everything. He's not with us any longer. Where you might have heard him from, he's not related to Steven Spielberg, best I can tell. He was on the TV version of Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. He was Ted. That might be a future cover because that didn't last all that long back in 1973. And if I'm not mistaken... Weren't they on that one week of the $10,000 pyramid with McLean Stevenson and Loretta Sweat? Yes, one of those few extant episodes of the $10,000 pyramid, which Game Show Network aired, like, what, 22 years ago? Yeah, somewhere around 2000. Yeah. Another person of note in this episode playing Jessica Price, Marge Doucet. She was Kara in one episode of Star Trek, the original series. But she played Alex Balding in 143 episodes of Guiding Light. Oh, yeah. And she was on an episode of Tattletales. She was also on your mom's stories because she was a regular for a little while on Santa Barbara and she was on Capitol. My guess is... She was on Tattletales while she was on Capitol. And she played Mrs. Pathley in one episode of Previous Entry ER. Sorry, the E slash dash R. Yes. The slash is very important. Playing a guy who was changing in the men's room. A guy that was changing in the men's room. Yeah, that is the name of his character. That's a the guy name changing in the men's room. I want to know what the competition was for this role. I wonder if there was like an intense competition. I want to be the man who was changing in the men's room on Tucker's Witch. <laughs> Raph Morin, the guy who played the guy changing in the men's room. He was... In Saved by the Bell is Mr. Dickerson, that a-hole teacher. He played a bum 
on six different episodes of Night Court. He played a car washer on one episode of Seinfeld. Oh, what episode of Seinfeld? The Smelly Car from season four. Okay, the Smelly Car. And he played a doctor on House, an old dead guy on Pushing Daisies, and chop restaurant owner on Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. My God! Really? He went in 25 years from Guy changing the men's room on Texas Witch to the chop restaurant owner and Bucky Larson born to be a star. <laughs> he was definitely a that guy from that thing. Episode 5 Terminal Case A political candidate will stop at nothing to be the next mayor, including blackmail and murder? Dun, dun, dun. With the aid of a young high school student, Rick and Amanda try and stop him. Playing the mayoral candidate slash murderer, Mark Wyndham, Kenneth Mars. People of a certain age will remember Kenneth Mars as the voice of Triton in The Little Mermaid. But he's done so much more than that. But yeah. I'm just going to leave it at The Little Mermaid. And playing the high school student trying to stop him, Holly Fields, Nancy Cartwright. That's right. It was Rick and Amanda and Bart Simpson trying to stop King Triton from killing to win a mayoral contest. Man, that must have been the inspiration years later for that episode of The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob became mayor. Plausible? And to be honest, that episode does have one of my all-time favorite Simpsons moments with that creepy laugh from Kelsey Grammer in that episode. <laughs> and just look how happy he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have another name in this episode playing Senator McGowan, Burt Remsen, taking a break from being the chef on It's a Living to be a senator who may or may not be dead by the end of this episode. Speaking of dead, after this episode, CBS took some time and basically pulled the series from the lineup. Because guess what it was up against otherwise? It was up against a doctor and a dynasty. The doctor was Quincy Emmy, and the dynasty was Dynasty. Oh, God, no. Yeah, suffice it to say, it really did not stand a chance. Not with that lineup. But they promised that the show would be back later on. But we have to wait all the way to March to get a new episode. Well, before we get into 
what happened after it came back. I think we got to listen to some 1982-83 era commercials. I think we do, too. Yeah. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Friday, three rival bosses plot to burn Boss Hog, and the Dukes have to save his bacon. Next, JR plans a big surprise. Why is it I think my older brother is always up to something? Then, on Falcon Crest, a murderous trap tightens about Cole and Melissa. It all happens Friday. This is CBS. Mary Jo West has the night off. I'm Mary Hughes. Coming up, a fatal plane crash in the valley. And some prime suspects in the Tylenol case. The 10 p.m. report is next. What makes Ford's annual financing rate different quality? Ford quality. In fact, last year, Ford achieved the highest quality rating of any major U.S. car or truck manufacturer. So now you can get a low 9.9% financing or $300 cash direct from Ford. On Escort and EXP, 9.9% financing on Ranger. But here's the real difference. Ford quality. Have you driven a Ford lately? All right, we're up 15. We got this game won. Yeah, you got to buy a light beer from Miller. Yeah! Let's go, Philly! One out to go. Yeah, what can he do to us now? Hey, I'll keep the change. Here's Rodney! My turn! Oh. Any pensioners left? Here I am. Come on, lady! Look at me. Do you like what you see? Good. Because it's not me. It's a recording of me on Mimrex videotape. This remarkable tape has been recorded and re-recorded 100 times, but I bet you still couldn't tell if it was Mimrex or me, which really isn't me. It's Mimrex. Mimrex videotape. Even after 100 recordings, you'll wonder, is it live or is it Mimrex? Monday, these square pegs join Wimowie's all-girl football team. Then, can Private Benjamin save Sergeant Ross from being replaced by a robot? And on a world premiere movie, Andrew Stevens and Yvette Mimieu are willing to risk everything for their forbidden love. Come live with me. Monday. And we're back. Before the break, we were talking about how Tucker's Witch was up against Quincy and Dynasty, and, well, CBS gave it five good episodes before they decided to not necessarily pull the plug, but, you know, rest the show while they figure out what else they want to do with it. So we go to a show that was meant to air in... November, but ended up airing in March. Abracadaver. 
A dead symphony composer leads Amanda and Rick on a wild goose chase involving his corpse, a dangerous business smuggler, diamonds, and a French jewel thief. Playing the uh, special guest in this episode, Frank Garrell, Charles Schofi, known for Clute in 71, Newsies in 92, and Shaft also in 71. He played Vic Androsi in Shaft. And playing the French jewel thief, Mademoiselle Chambier, Sonia Peterson. This was pretty much the be-all and all of her career. Episode 7. Die Job. That's D-Y-E, not D-I-E. Justin St. Peter, a renowned local hairdresser, has a high-priced murder contract on his head, and Amanda and Rick must figure out who it is before it's too late. Playing Justin St. Peter, Joe Penny. I believe he would be a year or two removed from uh, Riptide with Tom Bray and his killer robot. Yeah. But also, let's not forget, he was Jake on Jake and the Fat Man. And as we established about what? Let's see, it's now what? 12 episodes ago, I established the idea for a Jake and the Fat Man prequel called Fat Man 66. Now, Mike, I know you would watch it, right? You would watch every episode of Fat Man 66. Mike is not saying anything because he knows it's so great. I'm just like, who wouldn't want to watch that? Yeah. Fat Man 66. Now you see, I wasn't expecting you to go there. I thought you were going to say, was there cheese in that Danish? Well, let's remember, William Conrad, he has a little problem with cheese. And also he likes to sleep a lot, so he has a lot in common with Mike Francesa. I've got a little problem with cheese. I, I, I would like to see Fat Man 66 if there were Danishes all over the set, that would be great. <laughs> now, wait, hold on a second. I got a question about Fat Man 66. Is Joe Penny involved in any way? Or, or You said a prequel, but is he like introduced at some point in the Fat Man 66 series? Oh, yeah, he'll probably be introduced in like final season. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so it's like a nice continuation. I like that. Yes. Beautiful. Anybody listening, feel free to steal this idea, Fat Man 66. Give me proper credit, and I will make a ton of money on the residuals. Yeah, that's how Hollywood works. They listen to a podcast, and they call you up. Anyway, another name in this episode, if you are a person of a certain age growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons, playing a guy named Donnie. Steve Alterman, who played Ash, the bassist, on Kid Video. Oh, geez, how is that not on the list? If I'm sure it is, but that has to be an eventual cover one day. Eventually, oh we will get around to covering Kid Video. I think everybody wants to know about the bands made for TV who went on tour as an actual band. 
The band is called Kid Video. It's fronted by a guy named Kid Video. And it was, let's be honest, it was an excuse to get the music of Haim Saban and Shuki Levy out there. Another name in this episode. Playing Earl Creighton is James Karen. He has a very diverse career. A very, I can't even pick like one role that he's known for. He, he is that prototypical, that guy from that thing. His career goes back to 1948, and he's done a little bit of everything. Not with us any longer, unfortunately, died in 2018. Next episode, Psych Out. Amanda matches wits with an intellectual psychic who has knocked off multiple banks for multi-millions in money and jewels. Oh, it's witch versus witch, isn't it? I like it. And playing said Psych Out. Stefan Kubler, which does not at all sound dangerously close to Yuri Geller. Paul Hecht. He directed Down to Earth in 2001, which was basically the remake with Chris Rock in the Warren Beatty role. Is Stefan Kugler Ben Spoons? No. Bend! 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 I still contend. Shittiest trick ever. Any jackass can do that trick. There's nothing impressive about it. Nothing. Uh, my sister did it at a hotel in Cincinnati when she was like 11 years old. Of course anybody can do it. Bend. He Bend. has no other trick. No other trick. That is not impressive. Do something else. Mike is doing the rubber spoon trick and it's more impressive than that. I'm just wiggling it between my fingers. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the rubber spoon trick, you know, like the rubber pencil trick. Yeah, but I, I, I don't want to, you know, damage uh, the good uh, flatware here in the Klaus house. Episode nine: Rock is a hard place. A popular female singer is murdered by a failed songwriter in order to take her place and boost his career. Oh boy, Greg. Yeah. Playing the role of Andrew Bren, who may or may not be the songwriter or a manager, but he's definitely in the business. Terry Kaiser. He's making his case for the Hall of Fame. Oh, yes, he is, baby. Oh, I don't think there's any more making the case. I think it's a virtual lock at this point. Keith Tracy, the songwriter who would go on to murder our pop star, would be Ted Neely, who is known for playing the titular role in 1973's Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah. I gotta say, the theme to Jesus Christ Superstar, awesome. Episode 10. Formula for Revenge. Maurice Gerard, who has a nose for perfumes as well as owning a perfume-making company, is murdered by one of his employees in order to take over the company and make easy money on the newest fragrance Max was working on. Ellen tries to get her driver's license in a B-plot. 
Maurice Gerard, the corpse du jour, is played by Billy Beck, who is no longer with us. He died in 2011. But he was the can man in 1988's The Blob. Oh, The Blob. Yep. And the guy who was working with him, Max Leopold, played by Jordan Charney, who's known as Dean Yeager in Ghostbusters and Harry Hunter in Network. And by Ghostbusters, you mean the uh, 1984 Ghostbusters. Yes. Nothing against the other three Ghostbusters movies, but I'm all about the OG. More names in this episode. Three more names in this episode. Agatha Hinks, played by Liz Torres. Legendary actress Liz Torres. We talked about her in the famous Teddy Z. But also she was on the uh, John Larroquette show. Playing Salome Lipton. Erica Wells, who we talked about in Super Train. Oh, that's fantastic. Super Train. Can't get enough of Super Train on this podcast. And playing Norma Petrosian, Tracy Scoggins from Lois and Clark and Babylon 5 and God knows what else she's been in. Episode 11, Living and Presumed Dead. A successful shipping business, shipping executive, hires Rick and Amanda to find his daughter, missing for over 20 years, but things soon become complicated when it appears not only her, but others are now in danger as the investigation goes on. The shipping company shipping executive, Daniel Gorman, is played in this episode by Simon Oakland. I believe this was his last role before his death in 1983, but he was in Psycho in 1960 as Dr. Fred Richmond and shrank in West Side Story in 1961. More than that, though, he was Tony Vincenzo in previous installment, Kolchak the Night Stalker, but also, and I think this has to be an eventual cover, especially since it's the butt of so many jokes back in the day. He played Brigadier General slash Major General Thomas Moore on Black Sheep Squadron. Oh, yeah, Black Sheep Baba Black Sheep. Yeah, the, the Black Sheep Squadron, I think, is like the syndicated uh, title. Correct. But hold on. If you're keeping score, that's within like five minutes, we've had two shows that have John Larroquette in it. Yes, John Larroquette was on Black Sheep Squadron and, and a really young Dirk Blocker. Dirk Blocker, of course, the son of Dan Blocker. And also people would know him from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But he was like really young. He was like 20 years old when he did this. And this is going back to like 76, 77. So, and he looked like an old man back then. I mean, he, he hasn't aged. He looked like he was like 40 when he was 20. And if you want to catch Black Sheep Squadron, it reruns literally like every Saturday or Sunday. I think it's uh, Sunday for like two hours on H&I. And it's been that way for like 10 years. A show that only ran two seasons 
they've rerun the heck out of that. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Black Sheep Squadron did really well in syndication. I'm surprised they didn't order more episodes from that. But then again, that wouldn't be the age to do it. One more name in this episode. Playing the daughter, Natalie Gorman, Julie Cobb from season one of Charles in Charge. That's right. And you know what that means. She was the on-screen wife of Jamie Widows. I just blew your mind, guys. No, you didn't blow my mind. I was expecting that to happen. Oh. Well, whenever we talk about season one of Charles in Charge, invariably there's a Jamie Widows reference. I'm surprised he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Yet? Hmm. Episode 12, Murder is the Key. Ted Lomax kills his wife and frames her secret lover for her murder. Uh-oh. 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 Nobody expects the Teresa Merritt uh-oh. And Rick and Amanda must figure out the truth. Ted Lomax is played by Barry Corbin. I believe he, too, is a legendary actor. Nowadays, he could be seen in Tulsa King on Paramount+. Plus. But he was also in Yellowstone, The Ranch, 911 Lone Star, and played a voice of a guy named Hank Jameson in Madden NFL 19 Longshot Homecoming. Oh, that's right. He did that. Like, they had a story mode in Madden. That's like a new thing now. I think since like 18 or 17. I haven't really played much of the newer men's because, as you know, most of the newer bands are like buggy and quite terrible. Hey, we did talk about Barry Corbin in the past because he was on two episodes of the famous Teddy Z. Oh. He played Zed. But yeah, he was also in One Tree Hill as Coach Whitey Durham. And he was like on a ton of episodes of Anger Management. The series that was on FX and also syndicated. I think it was concurrently syndicated uh, and on FX. Yeah, it was sort of a half and half deal where everyone would get all the episodes, but half the profits would go to FX and half of the profits would go to the syndicator. And he was also on 110 episodes of Northern Exposure. So Barry Corbin was pretty much everywhere. His wife was murdered, played by Rita Taggart, who was also everywhere. She played Doris Dorkop in something called Where the Bears Are. Where the Bears Are? Well, I'll tell you where the bears are. They aren't ingesting cocaine like the cocaine bear. Gosh. That's going to be the feel-good film of 2023. I can feel it. I'm going to see it tomorrow, cocaine bear. I can't wait. More names in this episode. Playing Sheriff Trout, Noble Willingham. Playing Stanley, Robert Pastorelli. And playing the guy that they're trying to pin the murder on, Merrill William Lanto, who was available Jones in 1959's Lil Abner. But, and we talked about this show last week, he played Judge Kolensky in three episodes of Amen. And I want to bring this up again. It made Anna Maria Horsford's career. 
good. And that was the show. And like we said, it was put on hiatus midway. And they put the show back on the schedule on Thursday nights after Simon and Simon. So that would be like a whole night of detectives on CBS Thursday. Magnum P.I. starts Simon and Simon in the middle and then Tucker's Winch thinking that would make the show at least a little bit more visible. Here's the problem with that, though. It was up against Hill Street Blues and 2020. Yeah, you're not beating either of those two. All of these shows, they were basically their standalone shows. They are basically their slice-of-life episodes. There was no real connection or character development on any of them. So it's one of those series that you could air one and not miss anything. There would have been a problem if there was some character development. But there was no character development. So there was no problem. There was promise for the show. There was sort of a glimmer of hope. Maybe that it would find an audience. But here's the thing. It started in October. The first episode aired. It got respectable numbers. But then the second episode aired opposite Game one of the World Series. Oh, yeah, that's not good. And this was game one of the St. Louis-Milwaukee World Series that went seven games. Yeah. And week three, Tucker's Witch ran into game seven. Oh, man. No. No. If you had the choice between Catherine Hicks and Keith Hernandez. You're obviously going to pick Keith Hernandez. I mean, come on. It's Keith Hernandez. It is indeed Keith Hernandez. But then I have some words here from a note in the New York Times. The mysteries were too fragile and not well enough thought through. A good mystery needs certain strong elements that these scripts didn't have. A hero who gets into jeopardy who you can root for a clear villain, a compelling story, and a way for the hero to come out the victim. So we have a turnover in writers, a couple of not weak leads, but definitely not strong leads. I mean, Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks were no Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. But all in all, the show just seemed way too safe. Does that make any sense? Show being way too safe? Yeah, I can see that. Going with predictable plots, safe actors, all of that. But if you want to check it out for yourself, the show was released on DVD, thanks to Multicom Entertainment. And if you can't be bothered with cumbersome boxes and discs... You can stream the entire show right now for free, including the unaired pilot with Art Hindle and Kim Cattrall on Freebie. And it's available officially for streaming on YouTube, too. Just look up Tucker's Witch episodes 
it's, it's right there. there. It's right there. So, thoughts about this show? I think you said it yourself. It got way too predictable. And if you got better options elsewhere, why would you tune into this? It was not charming. It was not cheeky. It was cute. That's the word I was looking for. It was cute. It was cute, but against Hill Street Blues, are you going to really tune into this over that? No. Maybe with a better schedule, it might have worked. But no. Ultimately, Tucker's Witch tried to cast a spell on Wednesday nights, but it became a thing on TV that soon made itself disappear because magic. That was the real star of the show, the kitty cat. The cat in the open and walking on all the letters. That is the that is the star of the show, yes. Every witch needs a cat. Every witch needs a kitty cat. Let's party. Share a hot case of mystery. <laughs> She's a witch. With TV's most extraordinary private eyes, Tucker's Witch, premiering Wednesday, October 6th. Episode 354, Submission 841, Madam's Place. Madam's Place aired in syndication from September 20th of 1982. Wiki says until February 23rd of 1983, but I've found evidence that it went well into March of 1983. Wiki also says it aired for 51 episodes. IMDb has 55 episodes, and if you go on YouTube, there are 55 episodes on there, at least. So who knows what numbers work around here? It aired for half a season in 1982 and 83 for something like 55-ish episodes.
They often say that she's an ageist wonder. Her lust for life makes this lady tick. When a young man looks at madam, she just throws herself right at him. She's young at heart and still getting her kicks. And at madam's place, she's a prime time queen. She struts her stuff on a TV screen. Her and here's Corey Feldman. Damn it, you interrupted my beautiful rendition. All right. <laughs> Do that over. So, oh, this is all going to stay in. She struts <laughs> her stuff on a TV screen. Her outrageous charm fills this funny farm that we call Madam's Place. Here at Madam's Place, she's the perfect host. She rocks the airwaves from coast to coast. Her outrageous charm fills this funny farm that we call Madam's Place. So a couple of notes about that theme song. First, believe it or not, they originally tried getting George Burns and Ethel Merman to sing it. What? Are you kidding truth, me? Truth from the uh, writer of the theme, Michael Miller. They tried to get George Burns and Ethel Merman to sing the theme but they're already booked at the time when uh, they needed them to uh, record the theme. Very true story. And also, the first verse, that isn't the original first verse from the theme song. Again, from Michael Miller, who uh, wrote this theme. He said that Paramount wanted uh, to change it a little bit because it might offend old people. Here's the original first verse. You judge for yourself how offensive it is they say that she's a geriatric wonder with an ever active hunger for a thrill when a young man looks at madam she just throws herself right at him she's young at heart not yet over the hill here at madam's place she's a prime time no not gonna do it again <laughs> but yeah so, so the, the original version she's a geriatric wonder i, I didn't know that might offend older people but hey it possibly might have maybe older people didn't like being called geriatrics in 1982 i don't know doesn't really sound like it could be offensive i guess somebody at paramount got a little bit skittish well i think maybe there's a difference between geriatric and ageless i don't know however we're not here to talk about the theme song not for the entire episode we're here to talk about this show. Uh, it is my pick for my money in the bank this year because later this weekend, I am becoming a year older and maybe this time I'll become a year wiser. And I decided to pick this show because I remember seeing this back on USA in the day. This was not really fair that should have been seen in the daytime, which is when it, I remember airing back around like 1986. This is definitely fair for at night. What the show's about, it's about Madam. And if you don't know who Madam is, Waylon Flowers, one of probably the top puppeteers, comedians 
of the 70s, he had a puppet named Madam, and they did the rounds. They were on the Hollywood squares. They did Vegas. They were a known entity. This wasn't just some fly-by-night person. They developed a show regarding this character, Madam, and it was very much like, in my opinion, kind of like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, kind of like Soap in the sense that, yes, it's an episodic TV show, but there's serial continuity throughout each episode. So as like, you know, when you saw Soap, you heard Rod Roddy say, you know, on the last episode of Soap or coming up in the next episode of Soap, and they sort of tie it together so you don't have separate plots. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. So that was sort of the way this show aired. It was episodic, but at the same time, it was very serial. At points. I'm not, it wasn't entirely serial. There's some episodes that went way off course. They were not serial at all. They were they were very fictitious to say the least. I could probably use a better word than that, but they were fictitious at the least. So the show revolves around Madam and her world. The people that work for her, the people that live with her in her mansion. Oh, and by the way, did we mention that this mansion is so large, there's a TV studio in it? That's a big mansion. That's a really big mansion. It has a TV studio in it. Don't know if the producer, the cameraman live there. There is a studio where she records her talk show titled, believe it or not, Madam's Place. And the show just follows the antics of the house and also the antics of the TV show. Nothing terribly genius about it. It's a very lighthearted show, but also at the same time, just warning everybody, it's not for the kids. There may be a puppet involved. It is a very ribald TV show. Very double entendre laden, very sexually laden. We'll get into some reasons why in a little bit. There's two primary reasons. You'll get them really fast when we talk about them. So as I said, Waylon Flowers, he voiced Madam. He was never on the show itself. He was just the man behind the legend. The man behind the woman, I believe, is actually how they phrase it in the opening credits. Playing the butler on the show named Walter Pinkerton is Johnny Hamer. Where you might know Johnny Hamer from, he was in... 20 episodes of MASH playing Sergeant Zelmo Zale. He also voiced a number of Transformers on the original TV version of Transformers. Swindle, Vortex, Highbrow. He also did voices for Alvin and the Chipmunks back in the early to mid-80s. No longer with us, unfortunately. He passed away in 1989. However, one credit that I didn't know about that I've never even heard of. He was apparently an announcer on a couple of game shows. He was, according to IMDb, take this for what it's worth. He was a substitute host on Baffle for two episodes. Didn't know that. 
Maybe Dick Enberg got a little busy during baseball season. Who knows? Yeah, I could see Dick Enberg traveling from uh, field to field, having to, you know, cover the games for NBC. And another one. Again, I don't remember this. I don't even think there's evidence out there. He was an announcer on previous installment, Your Number's Up. I'm doing a shoulder shrug here because I didn't know that until I saw this on IMDb doing research for this episode. Playing Bernadette Van Gilder, who is Madam's secretary, is Susan Tolsky. Susan Tolsky, you may remember from the TV series Here Comes the Brides, 47 episodes back in the late 60s, early 70s. She played Aunt Janie on Pepper Ann. There's a flashback, Pepper Ann. She voiced Miss Orso on Bobby's World. There's another flashback. That's great. She's also known for other voices. Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, The Smurfs, Foofer. I can't believe I just made a Foofer reference. Foofer is awesome. I love Foofer. And she also is not with us any longer. Yeah, didn't she die last year? Susan Tulski did die on October 9th of 2022 at age 79. Playing the next door neighbor, Buzzy St. James. He only appeared in a number of episodes. I want to say of the 55 or so, he may have been in about 10 at most. And he was only credited, again, maybe in like the first 10, 15 episodes. Then they redid like the entire opening sequence because I don't know if he was written off or what have you. He wasn't like killed off. I don't think you want to kill a little kid in this case. But playing Buzzy St. James, the one and only Corey Feldman. And really, what hasn't he done? I mean, talk about License to Drive. He was the voice of Donatello in the original TMNT movie. And as we all know, License to Drive is one of my favorite movies of all time. Archies, come back! Come back! He was in the Goonies, Greg. Yeah, that's right. Which means he was in the Goonies Are Good Enough movie slash video. Yeah, the video. With Cindy Hopper and all of the big heels and big faces of the WWE in the 1980s. Yeah. And then Andre the Giant shows up at the end and everyone has a good time. And Greg, Corey Feldman had a card in Americana. He did. He did, yes. He did. He actually had what looks like a dual autograph with Corey Haim. You had the two Corys on the same card. Oh, did that's you pull that fantastic. Card? No, I just uh, saw a listing for it for like $600 because, you know, Corey Haim isn't signing any more autographs, sadly. Um, he was on an episode of previous entry Greg the Bunny he played Corey Feldman oh what a stretch Corey Feldman played a character named Corey Feldman playing 
the niece of Madam Sarah Joy Pitts. I told you there's a couple reasons that uh, this was a little ribald, a little racy. Judy Landers. And I just want to get this off my chest, no pun intended. Judy Landers on this series, they liked showing her breasts. She was wearing exercise equipment, leotards, bathing suits, bikinis, Tarzan outfits. Whatever they could do to show off the cleavage, they did it. I can't say I complained, but they did it. They were very evidently trying to get the sex factor there. And of course, Judy Landers, oh my gosh, where hasn't she been? I mean, first off, she is absolutely one of the most beautiful, most gorgeous women, maybe of all time. Uh, definitely from the 80s and 70s. But she was like everywhere back in the 70s and 80s. BJ and the Bear, Vegas, Fantasy Island. If she did Fantasy Island, I'm sure she did Love Boat. Yeah, she did eight episodes of Love Boat. She was on three separate episodes of Night Court, including one where she played Dan Fielding's date. That's great. John Larroquette and Judy Landers. Is there a better combination? I'll take that as a no. That is the, the perfect there is, combination. There is no better combination. And I think I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that she was on three separate weeks of the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. You know what else she was in? She was on one episode of the new Love American style. Oh, that's terrific. The new Love American style. Because I've said on this podcast many times how much I love the new Love American style. Because it's not the old Love American style. Because that show, that sucks. Nobody cares about that. It's all about the new Love American style. And something I learned about Judy Landers, she was actually trained musically at Juilliard. I did not know that. You know what I didn't know? I didn't know that on separate weeks of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, you had Twyla Littleton and Judy Landers with the 36s. Oh, baby. Oh, jeez. They're gorgeous. Well, you know, I'm not going to be here for much longer on this episode, so might as well get it on with it, so. Oh, sorry to lose you, Greg. Yeah, well, well, unfortunately, I'm not going to be here much on this episode, but I did bring somebody along for this episode. And so, hold on a second. Let me introduce him right now. He's got his own theme music. All right, everybody. Let's welcome the newest member of the... It was a thing on TV. Recurring characters, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the G-Man. <laughs> Is that the G-Man's music? Oh, yeah, it's the G-Man's music, baby. Yeah. He's always taking care of business. That's right, I'm taking care of business. I'm so excited, guys. It's my first time on this show. How you guys doing? <laughs> Oh. 
oh my gosh, I can't go on. Greg has broken me. <laughs> Who's this Greg you're talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry. The G man. The G man has. The G man has broken the set. I'm sorry. I was about to explain how Judy Landers was married to the guy who gave up the game-winning home run to Ozzie Smith in the 1985 National League Championship Series. Oh, yeah! Ozzie Smith losing a Oz, baby! But I'm, 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 I am... I am befuddled, y'all. I am befuddled. I, I did not know that she was married to Tom Needenfuer. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I know who he is. I, I, I've seen that name in baseball. I just can't pronounce names that have like six. Well, you know why he can't pronounce his name? Because he probably sucked. <laughs> he did give up the game-winning home run of the 85 NLCS to Ozzie Smith, after all. Yeah, how could he give up a home run to Ozzie Smith? He has hit, like, what, four home runs in his entire life? He's a better hey. fielder than he is a hitter. Hey, he does have a World Series ring. He won one in 1981. It was 82, silly. It says 81 on Wikipedia. Well, Wikipedia's lying. It was 1982. Who played in the World Series in 1982? We just talked about it. St. Louis and Milwaukee. Yeah, and he won a World Series with the Dodgers, you dingus. Oh, I thought you were talking about Ozzy Smith. Children, separate corners. Okay, no, no. Well, first off, I'm sure the G-Man does not like being addressed as a child. That's right. I'm like 62 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did say I used to run. Hold on. Fun fact. I used to run the ski shop in Skater Die on the NES. Show us your Marine tattoo. Skate or die, that's a deep cut. Oh my god. Yes, the skate shop owner has a marine tattoo. You hover over it, it says, Sepper, buy, or die. Yeah, that's right. That's how he lives his life, baby. But he doesn't live his life quite as extreme as a G Man. (laughs) All right, moving on as fast as we can possibly get. Yes, please. We had a television producer for the Madam's Play show that didn't appear all that often. He appeared on what appears to be about 15 episodes, give or take. And uh, the producer's name was Barney Wolf. And Barney Wolf was played by Ty Henderson. Ty Henderson, we talked about this, I think a week or two ago, this series, he played the voice of Super Stretch in the cartoon Tarzan and the Super 7 from 1978. Talked about it last week, actually. I knew it sounded familiar. Uh, He was also in Space Academy, which, if you remember going back to Jason of Star Command, that was sort of like the prequel series to Jason of Star Command. Also was on Room 222. Not with us. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed away in 2018 at the age of 64. So as you can tell, the cast is pretty stacked. No pun intended, with all due respect to Judy Landers. Let's get into the episodes. There's a lot of guests here. And again, we have 55-ish episodes, so we got a lot of covering to do. We'll start off with the first episode, 
which is basically your expository episode. We're introduced to the characters in Madam's life as she prepares for the uh, latest taping of her syndicated TV talk show. At the end of this hectic day, Madam's niece, Sarah Joy, arrives from their native Georgia, determined to crack show business and requesting that her aunt put her up until she does. Spoiler, Auntie Madam does. We got a name in this episode. Playing Larry Lunch. Larry Lunch is Madam's agent. And he's going to make a couple of appearances on this series. John Machida. He talks very, very quickly. Oh, yeah, it's the Micro Machines guy. Yeah, I love the Micro Machines guy. He's the FedEx guy, too. Yeah, he's the FedEx guy, but I know what is the Micro Machines guy. All the kids love the Micro Machines guy. Also, he was in that one commercial, that speed reading commercial for the 90s infomercials we talked about a few months ago. The fastest talker in the world? Against the fastest reader in the world. Supposedly. I'm sorry. You wag your finger down a book. That doesn't mean you're reading fast. I'm sorry. John Machida still got smoked by the speed reader. Allegedly. Allegedly, but you can only say so many words. Going on to episode two. And these don't have any titles, so it's just episode one, episode two, episode three, so on and so forth. Sarah Joy begins pounding the pavement in Hollywood. After being sawed in half by the world's most incompetent magician, Madam finds herself the surprise honoree on This Is Your Life. Not really This Is Your Life. Can't use that name, obviously. It's a show like This Is Your Life. And you won't believe who the host of this show was. And it was done right on Madam's set. And actually, this was done when she was sawed in half during the magic trick. Playing Biff Willis, this host, Jeff Edwards. He is no longer with us. Just a legendary host and actor as a host. And I think you mentioned previously that he was an alumnus of Duke. He was indeed an alumnus of Duke, but he was my friend anyway. And I know that pains you saying something good about a Dukey. Like I said, he was my friend anyway. Fair enough. Episode three. A neighborhood boy whom Madam once babysat returns to visit her, but he has grown into a popular television evangelist. He tries to save Madam's soul while she tries to get him back in the bathtub. That ain't holy water in there, TV evangelist. Wait a minute. How can he save Madam's soul? It's obviously wood. Wood doesn't have a soul? Can't you feel a tree's pain, G-Man? I'm going to take G-Man's silence as no. No. We do have two names. And actually, one of them is a occasionally a recurring character. Playing the TV evangelist. We've talked about him in the past. You may not remember the name. Rod McCary. He was Gorgeous George on the Cool Kids. He was indeed gorgeous. 
Well, remember he had uh, some infighting with the cool kids on that show, and yeah, he was on three episodes of that. Yeah, he also played a minister in the Stir Crazy movie. So I have to ask, is this typecasting? Now you see the G Man. This is his first time in the show. He doesn't know about these recurring little things. No, so, I don't. Uh, no. Uh, and also, no, this is not typecasting based on what he's done previously. This has been, is this typecasting? What's this I hear about somebody loving the show Wings? <laughs> it made Tony Shalhoub's career, and that's all you need to know. Must be totally new to this podcast, G-Man. Oh no, I uh, this guy Greg uh, told me about. Oh hey, do you want to host this podcast for like uh, an hour or two? And I was like, oh sure, I got nothing better to do. Nothing better to do than f- my birthday episode. Cool. <laughs> Hold on, apparently he was busy. He told me something about the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dash. I don't know what the hell that is, but it probably sucked. Don't worry, none of us know what the heck the Brothers Razzle Dazzle show was. We're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. And and also, getting back to Chico's uh, main question there about the typecasting, Gorgeous George was not a preacher in any way. So, just throwing that out there. Okay. But I do want to add another character, and this is a semi-recurring character Playing Mr. Honest. Mr. Honest gives off real big Mr. Rogers vibes. See, now you know who we're talking about there, what type of of character Mr. Honest is. He was played by Don Sparks. Where you might know Don Sparks from, he's been on a little bit of everything for many, many, many years. Eight episodes of L.A. Law. Oh, he was on L.A. Law. I loved L.A. Law. You were my favorite movie of L.A. Law was, guys. Oh, no. Here, um, oh, no. Uh, my it. favorite episode of L.A. Law was when that woman fell down that elevator shaft. Oh, it was hilarious. Oh, well, we're legally obligated to play it. I really don't want to talk about it. I'm so glad you have that clip, guys. He was also on 10 episodes of Operation Petticoat. Still with us. Yeah. I imagine Operation Petticoat is a future cover. Oh, I would just about guarantee it. We're going to go to episode four now. Bernadette books a ladies marching band on the show without Madam's approval. Buzz and Sarah Joy submit Pinkerton's diary for publication which divulges his long-ago affair with Madam. When the book sells, Pinkerton is torn between the generous cash advance and his loyalty to Madam. Oh, my. So, wait. I got an observation here. If he had an affair with Madam, does that mean that she gave him wood and he gave her wood? Good night, everybody. (laughs) Just something to think about. Hey, what? Guy does in his bedroom's own business. 
until Judy Landers uh, sells the diary to a publisher. Sure. <laughs> no names on this episode, so we're going to go to episode five. A rash of robberies in the neighborhood leads Madam to install a home security system. Unfortunately, as she's testing it out, a metal cage descends upon her from above and locks her in. 15 minutes before she's due on stage. Hey, G-Man, can you do uh-oh for us? Oh, I, I don't know how to... Okay, let me... Uh, just... Uh-oh! Uh-oh! Close enough. Nobody of note in that episode, so we're going to go to episode six. No sooner does Solaria, a psychic, predict that Madam is fated to have a baby than a bundle of joy is found on the doorstep of the mansion. Solaria is actually a recurring character. doesn't appear in many episodes, maybe like six or seven. And she's played by the one and only Edie McClurg. The lovely and talented Edie McClurg. We've all heard of Edie McClurg. Obviously, she was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She played the school secretary. That's probably her biggest role. She was on Valerie, Valerie's uh, family, the Harper family, the Hogan family, whatever it was called whenever you decide to watch since it changed uh, names more often than some people change their drawers. But yeah, you know who she is. She, she's one of those character actresses that just like transcends time. She's just excellent. And playing the network executive, this person was actually on the first episode, but I neglected to uh, mention him. And again, an occasionally occurring character, somebody from the network, R. Ray Randall is played by Chandler Garrison. Not much of a career. He did five episodes of Madam's Place, according to IMDb, and then an episode of Knight Rider as a butler, and something called Frankenstein's Great Aunt Tilly. I'm not even going to ask about that. That sounds really, really, really bizarre. Maybe even too bizarre for this podcast. That's pretty bizarre. I didn't know that uh, Frankenstein had an Uncle Tilly. The things you learn around here. Oh, that's surprising. I can't believe Dr. Frankenstein. He had an uncle and an aunt. Moving on to episode seven. It's Dueling Divas when guest star Debbie Reynolds does a life-size impersonation of Madam on the show. Sarah Joy admits that the baby found on Madam's doorstep is hers, and the need to earn money leads her to accept a role in a pornographic film. Oh my. Yeah, there's a little bit of a deeper story here, which we're going to get into in a few episodes. But like I said, Debbie Reynolds, she played herself in this episode. And again, Debbie Reynolds, absolute legend. Carrie Fisher's mom. I mean, that's really all you need is right there. Episode eight, continuing in this sort of serialization, uh, the continuity, uh, as it were. Madam and Bernadette have a falling out after Solaria conducts a seance to make contact with Bernadette's deceased husband. Sarah Joy reveals that she is not the true mother of the infant found on Madam's doorstep. See, I told you it was not her, her baby. You won't believe whose baby it is, though. So Sarah Joy reveals that she's not the mother of the infant found on the doorstep and that she has been protecting the baby's real mother, a friend of hers from Georgia. And playing the friend from Georgia, 
Patty Sue, podcast favorite, Bonnie Urseth. Wait a minute. Are you talking about the Bonnie Urseth who was a nun in that Punky Brewster episode? I was talking about the one on We Got It Made, but yeah, one in the same. And also, as we all know, she was on a couple weeks of Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. And Solaria returns in this episode, too. So we have another Edie McClurg sighting. Episode 9. As the standoff between Madame and Bernadette rages on, the household falls into disarray. Sarah Joy's friend, Patty Sue, takes ownership of the infant found on Madame's doorstep and heads back to Dawson, Georgia. On her show, Madame spotlights a Japanese comedian who does uncanny impressions of Leslie Caron, Hermione Gingold, Catherine Hepburn, Sandra D, and Shirley Temple. And, ooh, this doesn't age well because this person would be canceled out for portraying a Japanese impressionist. But it's somebody that we've talked about. Playing Sonoko. That's her name. Like the gasoline brand, but spelled S-O-N-O-K-O. Sonoko. Again, we've talked about her plenty in the past. Great character actress, Lynn Marie Stewart. We talked about her on Nightstand with Dick Dietrich. She plays Charlie's mom on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Has the G-Man ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I think the G-Man has lived It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's right, baby. I've lived all the episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's right. I, you know, no alone fact, I was right there when I saw uh, Rudy Giuliani's like hair dye trip. I was like right with the press. Don't ask me how I got in, but I got a front row seat for that. It was amazing. I'm not going to. Also, if you don't know her from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I guarantee you would know her as Miss Yvonne on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, the G Manny digs Pee Wee's Playhouse. Hey, that's not going to be the only mention of Pee Wee's Playhouse in this episode. We're going to hear about it at least two more times. Okay. Well, I got a question about Pee Wee's Playhouse. Why was the king of cartoons the king of cartoons? Because every time he brought out a cartoon on Pee Wee's Playhouse, it always sucked. Well, it was a public king, domain well, cartoon. Well, 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 that, but also not every cartoon is necessarily a winner. I mean, I may be the king of whatever, but you got to have some bad stuff there. I may be the king of baseball cards, but you know what? I probably have a Tom Nearfewer card hiding somewhere. You know, maybe only Junie Landers cares about it. I don't know. Not everything from the King cartoons can be a winner. Sorry. Well, that's fine. I appreciate you uh, are accepting my excuse. Thank you. Episode 10, Madam and Bernadette Reconcile. Oh, good. They're not fighting anymore. And the household returns to order until Madam becomes indisposed, at which point... A scramble ensues to find a substitute host for that evening's show. With all of Tinseltown RSVP'd to a party hosted by Sammy Davis Jr., Madam prepares Bernadette to take center stage. We have Ty Henderson appearing in this episode, and also we have Chandler Garrison appearing in this episode. So, again, some 
recurring characters there. I'm just trying to imagine Susan Tolsky fitting in Madam's chair. Would it be a short chair? It would almost have to be. Because obviously Madam's like a puppet. Well, if Madam sits in a wooden chair, isn't that like sitting on her ancestors' bodies? You're right. Kind of would be offensive. No more offensive than Lynn Stewart playing a Japanese lady. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it is kind of creepy when you think about it that way. Going on to episode 11. Concerned over Buzzy's adolescent crush on Sarah Joy. Oh, there's the hormones (laughs) kicking in. Madam intervenes with the boys' self-involved showbiz parents, but her plan backfires when Buzzy runs away. Anthony Newley appears on Madam's show, where the two duet to the Candyman. Oh, the Candyman. I love that song. That's a nice song. Oh, yeah. It's my favorite. Willy Wonka. And Sammy Davis Jr. sang that song. I like the Sammy Davis Jr. version better. Yeah, that's That's just me. Yeah. No, it isn't just you. I I agree with all that. The goddamn Candyman's in the house, brother. Well, we talked about Anthony Newley, but there is another name in this episode. Playing Carlos St. James, E.J. Peeker. E.J. Peeker? What a name! You're right. E.J. Peeker is a great name. She was a woman who was on a lot of things in the 70s. She was on seven separate episodes of the OG Love American Style. Oh, the the OG Love American Style! You know not what? The, I love I love the old Love American style. Yeah, not the new Love American style. Oh yeah, the new Love American style. That sucks. Boy, if Greg was here, he'd be upset because he thinks the new Love American style is where it's at. Oh, does he? Well, he's fucking wrong. Oh, no. Well, we'll hear from him in the next episode, assuming he returns. Uh, and also, she was on... 26 episodes, which is presumably the entire series of something from 1968 and 1969 called That's Life. Episode 12. After winning the Irish sweepstakes, an eccentric formerly homeless woman named Cora moves in next door to Madam. When the snooty neighbors protest, Madam goes the Pygmalion route to teach Cora how to behave like a lady of means. I don't think Cora's going to be taught any way of being a lady of means. Just saying. And interestingly enough on this episode, someone's playing Bette Midler on this episode. I'm going to guess it's a drag thing because the person playing Bette Midler is Kenny Saka. And actually, oh, uh, you want, um, is this uh, typecasting Chico? He played a female impersonator in... American Playhouse, and he played Bette Midler, a Bette Midler lookalike in an episode of Simon and Simon. And he played a female impersonator in Bette Midler's The Rose. So again, the question comes up, is this typecasting? This is definitely typecasting. Oh, I absolutely agree with you on that. Oh, it sure as hell is typecasting. Absolutely. Uh, And also, 
he was on an episode of Married with the Children uh, when Al's barber dies. He plays not necessarily a barber, but like a uh, a, a hairdresser, uh, an effeminate hairdresser. Not trying to stereotype here. Uh, and Al, eh, let's just say he's not happy with his new unmanly haircuts. Peg loves it, though. Makes fun of it quite a bit. And he's not with us any longer. He unfortunately passed away in 1992. At the way too young age of 39. Moving on to episode 13. To boost ratings, Madam sponsors an on-air Mary Madam contest to find the man who will become her seventh husband. An extremely talkative Charles Nelson Riley pays a visit to Madam's show, barely letting her get a word in edgewise. I think we all know who's playing Charles Nelson Riley in this episode. Charles Nelson Riley. We all know who he is. Uh, but playing Dwayne Kellogg in this episode is William Bogert. I'm sure we've talked about him in the past. His name sounds oh, familiar. Yeah. William Bogert, he was uh, Brandon Brindle on Small Wonder. He was also part of... Now, Greg, you don't no, Greg. Mr. G-Man, come on. I, was, I, I, I got my things mixed up here. He's Greg. not here, you silly. Okay. You just okay. said Greg let, again. Let, oh my. Let me try this again. Let me try this again. Let me try this again. Okay, hit the reset button. Okay. The G-Man, Greg's favorite Dave Chappelle sketch is the White Klansman, or the Black Klansman. Oh, the Clayton Bigsby sketch? Yeah. Clayton Bigsby, yes. William Boger was basically known for that sketch. Yes. So you have seen it. Oh, yes, I've seen all the episodes of Chappelle's show. Okay, then. All right, and we, so, we're all, so we're all on theme. Awesome. And we previously talked about him because he was on an episode of Here's Boomer. Going on to episode 14, Bernadette Pinkerton and Sarah Joy... Take an instant dislike to Madam's new fiance, but when Madam remains blind to his mercenary nature, they conspire to reveal his true colors. That might be William Bogert, from what I can tell. Potentially. We do have a name in this episode, and G-Man, I'm going to apologize in advance. Since you're new to the show, you may not know how we handle certain celebrities on this uh, podcast. Playing himself in this episode is Mr. Black. Jay Leno. Nothing. I think he's just in total shock over the concept of Mr. Black. I don't know any what we're talking about about Mr. Black. It's way too complicated to explain to you. Okay. In the, in the very limited time that we have. Maybe it's best if we just move on to episode 15. When Madam and conman Dwayne Kellogg eloped to Mexico, Pinkerton, Sarah Joy, and Bernadette spring into action to stop the wedding before it's too late. The outspoken Mr. Honest fills in for Madam on her show while she's away. Again, William Bogart appears as Dwayne Kellogg, the fiancé conman. So no wonder they have their suspicions because he's not a very good man. Mr. Honest is on the show again, as we mentioned. But playing a holistic doctor on this episode, who is in the 
uh, Madam's Place uh, talk show doing a segment on holistic medicine, John Paragon. Second reference to Pee Wee's Playhouse because John Paragon was Jombie. Jombie? Jombie, yeah. The, the, the genie whose head was in the box and yeah. Everybody knows Jombie, if you remember Pee-wee's Playhouse. Maybe the G-Man didn't wake up that early on Saturday mornings. No, I was too busy running the skate shop. I'm sorry, G-Man. I thought you were going to say you were too busy partying on Friday nights that you slept in late on Saturday mornings. Oh, yeah, I was partying hard. I was drinking all the boobs. He was also the voice of Terry the Pterodactyl on Pee-wee's Playhouse. In fact... He was in the Groundlings with Paul Rubens and Bill Hartman. He also played Richard Fletcher on UHF. Episode 16, depressed and behaving erratically in the wake of her ruptured engagement to Dwayne Kellogg, Madam refuses professional help until Bernadette engages celebrity psychologist Dr. Joyce Brothers on her show. Madam introduced comics Fred Willard and Dave Workman. Believe it or not, appearing as themselves on this episode, Joyce Brothers, Fred Willard, and David Workman. Really? I cannot believe they all played themselves. I mean, it literally was just in that capsule I read. Joyce Brothers, we all know her from basically being the first person to be famous for being herself, for for being a non-actor, for winning on the $64,000 question. Fred Willard... One of the funniest people ever. Fernwood tonight, America tonight. We talked about him in Sirota's Court, Roseanne. The list yeah. goes on and on. I, I I think he was also in like Best of Show, I believe. Best he of was? Show, yeah. He wasn't Best of Show, but hey, guys, you know he was the president of the Biology Corporation in uh, Wally. I think I've heard that. Yeah. And David Workman hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. He did some voices on a couple of episodes of Transformers, but that's pretty much it. Episode 17. Dr. Joyce Brothers continues her in-depth analysis of Madam, which reveals a long-standing pattern of choosing the wrong men in her life. Pinkerton comes clean with Madam about his feelings for her 25 years after their breakup. I got a question, guys. How would that work? being married to like a wooden puppet i don't know the legalities surrounding that so i can't tell you yeah it doesn't make any sense to me episode 18 against her better judgment madam allows a vitriolic reporter to follow her with a camera for a tv expose that completely misrepresents her inebriated comic foster brooks unexpectedly wanders onto the stage of madam's show and guess what Foster Brooks is in this episode. I know, it was just like literally right there. I just said it like 10 seconds ago. But is he really inebriated? No, that's all a shtick, believe it or not. His drunkenness is all just an act. It's all a ruse. From what I've read, he did not drink in real life. Or at least didn't uh, drink excessively like his personas you may see on TV. Episode 19, a famous Italian director asks Madame to appear in his latest film, which leads her to question staying in television. 
Madam spars with guest star Betty White on her show. Who would want to fight Betty White? Why would anybody fight Betty White? Oh, no, I wouldn't dare fight Betty White. I mean, she's Betty White. Exactly. No, the G-Man wouldn't mess with Betty White. No, because the G-Man would probably end up as that uh, person that got banged to death by uh, Rose that one time. You mess with me, kiddo. I'm going to kill you. Bang, 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 dead. Something like that. Hey, play the Italian director, Federino Fellucci. Boy, I wonder who they're trying to mock there. Maybe Fellini, just saying. A name, we've talked about him plenty of times. TV legend, Ronnie Shell. Gomer Pyle. Fun fact. Are you a fan of the Shirt Tales? He was the voice of Rick, the raccoon. I'm sure the G-Man loves Shirt Tales. And also still with us at the age of 91. Wow, God bless him. Well, that's great. He's still ticket. I appreciate that. G-Man appreciates that he's still with us at 91. Episode 20, Tab Hunter is interviewed by Madam in her eponymous talk show, and she confuses him with other famous 1950 heartthrob actors and cannot name any of his movies. Madam, it's called research. It's a sad thing IMDb did not exist in the 1980s. You're very correct about that. And, of course, playing himself is Tab Hunter, heartthrob from the 50s. He was on Match Game and Match Game PM back in 1978. All right, moving on. Episode 21. Madam's neighbors launch a petition to prevent her from running her show on their street, and Madam finds an unlikely ally in an awkward, introverted inventor. And I think I know who the introverted inventor is. And it's a name that we've mentioned, and this may be solidifying a Hall of Fame case. Playing Pinhead Flanagan. I don't know if Pinhead would be an inventor's name, but regardless, playing Pinhead Flanagan in this episode, Mickey Jones. We've Mickey talked about Jones. Yeah, we've talked about Mickey Jones many times. We talked about him in Ace Crawford, Private Eye. We talked about him in the pilot of Misfits of Science. We talked about him on Married with Children, where he played Parley Rockefeller, an auto mechanic. And also we've talked about him. He was an occasional character on Home Improvement. He looks like the type of person that would be on Home Improvement. So, makes sense. Also not with us, he passed away in 2018. Episode 22. A dip in Madam's ratings indicates that she has fallen out of touch with the youth market. Feeling past her prime, Madam goes punk and takes part in a youth protest. I have stuff to say. I saw this episode. She goes punk and actually performs punk music or punk-ish music on her show. The band she performs with is called Drool. I'm guessing maybe sort of an homage slash takeoff of Kiss. 
even though she doesn't dress up in the full regalia and makeup and whatnot. She just wears a rainbow wig. But the one song they perform, and remember, this is 1982. The previous year, one of the big songs was Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. Drool and Madam performed the song, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Barbara Streisand's Nose. Oh. <laughs> she means gotta take the cleverness of that. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just the messenger. I don't approve of that. And I was sort of taken aback when I heard that. But again, that was 41 years ago. It was a different time. It was a different time. Different time and a place. Moving on quickly to episode 23, Madam decides the only way to recapture her beauty is to undergo cosmetic surgery. She and Pinkerton then concoct a ruse that will allow her recuperation time without anyone discovering what she's done. In response, the household leaps to the conclusion that Madam is on her deathbed. If she got cosmetic surgery, wouldn't that just be as simple as like taking a sander or some sandpaper to her face? Just saying. Is that the presses? How do they do it? Well, she's a doll. She, she's a puppet. She's made out of wood. Yeah, I know. So wouldn't they just be sanding her face? That's what I'm saying. I didn't want to say it, but yeah. Makes the most sense. Solaria returns in this episode. Uh, so that's Edie McClurg as the psychic. Episode 24. Solaria tries to hypnotize Madam out of a debilitating bout of insomnia, which causes Madam to fall into a post-hypnotic trance while interviewing a prominent woman's right activist. Playing that woman's right activist, Gloria Beecham Mead, is Eileen Graff. Mr. Belvedere, everybody. The G-Man loved Mr. Belvedere. Who didn't love Mr. Belvedere? That was a great show. And also a top-notch pyramid player back in the day. And again, Edie McClurg returns as Solaria. John Machida returns as Larry Lunch. We're almost halfway there, guys. Episode 25. When Barney is fired from Adam's place, his replacement is a cutting-edge Canadian producer whose run of controversial adversarial guests nearly drives Madam off the air. Nobody have noted in that episode, so we're going to just move on to episode 26. Madam hosts a reunion for one of the whoopee girls from her speakeasy days, but the down-on-her-luck former vaudevillian likes mansion living so much that she shows no signs of leaving. Madam welcomes fellow Southerner Tony Tennille to the show, but all of her questions pertain solely to the captain. Obviously, Tony Tennille is on this episode. Captain Tennille, as you could probably infer from that description. I got a question, Mike. Yeah. What made the captain, Captain Tennille, a captain? What gave Captain Crunch the title captain? I know, but at least, it, you know, he, he came in into the, uh, the naval rank and he was probably like private crutch. He worked his way up to Captain Crutch. But the captain, he's just called the captain. Like, did he start out as the private? 
if I ever get into pornos, you've given me my name that I'm going to use. I'm going to be Private Crunch. At this point, Tony Tennille was still married to the captain, Daryl Dragon. They were actually married up until 2014. So, yeah, I can understand why Madam may want to get the dirt on uh, the captain, but not happening. By the way, to answer your question, G-Man, the hat. The hat made the captain the captain. Oh, I was going to answer that. I thought maybe the hat might make him the captain. Good okay, call. So just, so just because he wears a hat, he's the captain. Now you get it. Okay, I get it. G-Man digs that. G-Man digs hats. Episode 27. After spending her life savings to record a single, Sarah Joy quits her job to pursue a full-time singing career. When Madam rebukes her rash decision, her discouraged niece packs her bags and heads home to Georgia. Until Bernadette hears the record, which prompts Madam to introduce Sarah Joy on her show. This is like the second or third time she's like threatened to go back home to Georgia. Maybe she needs to get a thicker skin or something like that. Hey, appearing as themselves, presumably on the talk show, Phyllis Diller. Legend. Nothing else really needs to be said. You're absolutely right about that. But she did a couple weeks of Match Game Hollywood Square Hour, so yeah. <laughs> Episode 28, when Madam is chosen Woman of the Year by the Fine Arts Guild, Bernadette and Pinkerton move into damage control mode as the guild reserves the right to withdraw the nomination if the recipient behaves in an undignified manner. Once it commences, the award ceremony devolves into a bona fide roast of Madam. Polarity ensues. <laughs> and they were worried about Madam misbehaving? She's getting a little bit of her own medicine. Episode 29. Sarah Joy wants Madam to back the production of an esoteric play written by her untalented boyfriend from acting class. Glamorous Ava Gabor guest stars on Madam's Place, resulting in a fashionista duel between the two divas. Yeah, I can see that happening. Playing the untalented boyfriend from acting class is John Sanderford. Zach Morris's daddy. Zach Morris's daddy. Good call. Also was a regular on Ryan's Hope for uh, a number of episodes. Well over a hundred. But Zach Morris's daddy. That's all we need to say. Episode 30. A freak snowstorm brings Hollywood to its knees during sweeps week, forcing Madam to put her staff and family to work on that evening's show. So you had... Presumably Judy Landers, uh, Sarah Joy working on the show. Larry Lunch also makes an appearance on this episode. Madam's agent. Maybe he has to help out too. And it's kind of interesting because as of the time we're recording this, in case you guys haven't heard, there's a lot of snowfall in Southern California. But it doesn't snow in Southern California. Uh, they're getting snow in the Mojave Desert. They're getting snow in San Diego. So don't say it never snows. It's I snowing in Southern California. It is, apparently. Episode 31. 
Sarah Joy hopes to make the Olympics gymnastics team. Oh, great. Another reason to show off her cleavage. Put her in a, a leotard and uh, let her tumble. Madam's former producer sues her for firing him, giving her subpoena through a dog act on the air, but her longtime attorney appears to have entered senility. Playing a judge in this episode, presumably uh, for the whole subpoena thing, a name we've talked about, maybe making a case for the Hall of Fame, Earl Bowen. No, he's in. If not this year, then definitely next year. Oh, like I said, he's making that case. He is definitely making that case. And unfortunately, just passed away about a month and a half ago, two months ago, January 5th of 2023. Episode 32. Sarah Joy promotes the career of a juggling street performer. Madam's trial continues with the plaintiff threatening blackmail with a videotape from her foray into pornography. What? Madam did pornography. Why not? Madam's done everything else. You got now I'm blinded by the thought of that. Well, I mean, you can't see my eyes because you got these sunglasses, but, but trust me, guys, my eyes are just blinded by the thought of Madam doing pornography. Earl Bowen returns in this episode as Judge Blake. Episode 33. Sarah Joy takes the stand on Madam's behalf as the trial draws to a conclusion. Moving on to episode 34. When Sarah Joy ends her courtship with a love em and leave em nude artist's model, Solaria sets her up with her nephew, Pee Wee Herman. Solaria's nephew is Pee Wee Herman. That's what I'm saying. Solaria's nephew is Pee Wee Herman. Wow, what a twist, guys. Pee Wee Herman's on the show. So that's the third reference to Pee Wee's Playhouse, because we talked about Jambi and Terry, and we also talked about Miss Yvonne. Now we have the man himself, Paul Rubens. And actually playing the boyfriend, the love him or leave him nude artist model named Lou is Tony Longo. Not with us any longer, passed away in 2015 at age 53. He was in the movie Angels in the Outfield. I know if Greg was here, he would say something because he loves that movie. Wait, what did you say, guys? You talked about Angels in the Outfield? That's right, Greg. You're talking about Angels in the Outfield. Oh, man, I love that movie. It had freaking... Uh... Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Danny Glover. Hey, guys, did you know that Tony Danza played a character in Angels in the Outfield and it wasn't named Tony? Did you know Christopher Lloyd was in it? Yes, I did. How's the show going, guys? I'm just in shock you appeared out of nowhere. I'm in the background, guys. You can't see me. I'm like John Cena. I'm wearing a John Cena invisibility cloak. Gotcha. I see what you're doing there. Episode 35. Madam is paid a visit by her black sheep cousin, Charlie, a man who transforms into Betty Davis whenever he hears the word trash. When vacationing Pinkerton returns to the mansion, he falls for Charlie and drag. Ooh, don't want. G-Man doesn't want that. 
maybe Pinkerton likes those Betty Davis eyes. Oh, yeah. Better than the Barbara Streisand's nose. Yeah, well, you know, he thinks she's a spy because she's got Betty Davis eyes. G-Man, you would make a good DJ. I, I like that sound coming from your voice. Well, you know, I tried to audition for like a top 40 station back in like the uh, the early 80s, but they wouldn't accept me. They didn't think I had a good face for radio. I don't know what they meant by that. Episode 36. Madam Sergeant Nephew Lamar is temporarily restationed in Los Angeles, where he commandeers the mansion and puts the family through rigorous basic training frankie avalon guest stars on madam's show where he shares his secrets for staying youthful we know that frankie avalon is on this episode obviously you know what my reaction would be if i first saw this episode when it originally aired what would that be g-man oh what a night <laughs> oh my gosh Oh my gosh. Gee, man, it was Frankie Valley that's saying, Oh, what a night. Not Frankie Avalon. This is what happens when I'm not here, guys. Oh, what uh, a night. Gee, man's watching this episode of Madden's Place. I should have seen that coming from a mile away, and I didn't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gee, man slipped one right past me. Oh my gosh. Gosh. That's why I almost got that job on Top 40 Radio, because I had clever jokes like that. Episode 37. Madam defies network executives when she hires a handsome but inept new announcer over their more seasoned candidates. Nobody of note, we're going to go to episode 38. Madam invites her second husband and his new fiancé to lunch, then orders William Shatner off the set of her show, when the Canadian actor cannot recite the United States Pledge of Allegiance. And yes, that is true. I saw this episode. William Shatner could not recite the Pledge of Allegiance. She had security escort him off the set. And this man ends up hosting a show about 911. She has no problem pledging allegiance to the United Federation of Planets, just saying. In this episode, playing Micheline Juliet. Don't know who that is. That might be the new fiancé, to be honest. Is Julie Payne. May not be a big name or a familiar name, but you would definitely know her because she voices Liz Wilson on Garfield. She's the veterinarian of Garfield and Odie. John's love interest. Not only was she on Garfield and Friends, she reprised the role on The Garfield Show. So she is the vet, Liz Wilson. Well, she sounds nothing like Jennifer Love Hewitt. I'm just reporting what I see. Episode 39. Madam hires a bargain basement interior designer who romances Bernadette to get a commercial deal on Madam's show. Playing the interior designer, who goes by the name Bernie of Culver City, Ken Olfson. We've talked about him in the past because he was on Flying High. He was like the main pilot of the plane on Flying High. 
And I need to add what the uh, design of the house was after Bernie of Culver City uh, did the redesigning. It took on a jungle motif. You had like hay, like strewn across the walls. The telephone, the receiver was replaced with what looked like a, like a, I don't want to say an elephant tusk. It wasn't that big, but it was some sort of tusk of some animal. And it, very stereotypical Tarzan and Jane type of stuff. And even Pinkerton and Sarah Joy at the end of the episode, they come out wearing their Tarzan and Jane garb. Pinkerton wearing like an over-the-shoulder kind of loincloth toga-ish thing. And Judy Landers wearing this sort of like animal print bikini because she's Judy Landers. Got to get as much mileage as you can out of Julie Lander's sexuality. Episode 40. Believing the mansion is haunted, the household hires a local Ghostbuster. Madam hosts comedian George Goble on her show, and the two compete to see who has the worst memory. Now, this really doesn't sound all that fair, because George Goble was going downhill at this point. This is 1982. He wasn't on his A game like he was even like 10 years ago. He had health issues. I sort of don't like that comparison. But again, that was 1982. That's not 2023. I'm surprised he was alive at this point. He did match game Hollywood Squares in 1984. Oh, yeah. Now I remember. I was surprised he was alive then, too. Well, I think he lived uh, like 1990, so... He had another almost decade in him. 1991. Close enough. Episode 41. Madam continues efforts to banish the ghosts of Groucho and Harpo Marx. Groucho and Harpo Marx are invading Madam's place? Or the ghosts of them are? Whoa! I mean, come on, guys. I mean, wouldn't the ghosts of Groucho and Harpo Marx have better things to do than haunt some wooden puppet's house? That's what I'm saying. So uh, going back, Madam continues efforts to banish the ghosts of Groucho and Harpo Marx, whose practical jokes from beyond have the household up in arms. Heartthrob John Schneider promotes his latest film and record album on Madam's show. So obviously we have John Schneider from Dukes of Hazard on this episode. Moving on because uh, neither the Groucho or Harpo Marx ghosts are really anybody. Episode 42, an old flame of Pinkertons returns after 22 years to disclose they have a son together. What? Uh. And comedian Dick Sean appears as a guest on Madam's show. Hey, playing that person who had the child with Pinkerton, a known name, Ruta Lee. Oh, God, what hasn't she done? The legendary Ruta Lee. She's done everything from several seasons of High Rollers to one episode of Power Rangers Lightspeed Rescue. Still active. She has a stage show coming out next month. Really? Wow. And she's got to be, what, probably in her late 80s now? Looks like doing some quick math on IMDb. She's 87 and still active. 
And actually, one book that I want to pick up, she released her uh, autobiography last year. And supposedly, it's a great autobiography. Read the name of the biography. Oh, I know what the name of the biography is. Do you really want me to say it on air? Not if you don't want to. It's your birthday. So, Rudely's biography is titled, Consider Your Ass Kissed. That's the name. Yep. G-Man digs that, bro. The G-Man likes getting his ass kissed? No, G-Man appreciates how Rudely made a proper title. I mean, I gotta respect that. And also, as I mentioned earlier, Dick Sean's on this episode. And that takes us to episode 43. Only about 10 more to go. We're, we're, we're almost there, guys. Two teenagers from the Brooklyn chapter of Madam's Fan Club steal their way into the mansion and then refuse to leave. Comedian Marty Allen appears on Madam's show. Nobody of note going to episode 44. Defeated and disillusioned by her inability to get a role in a major motion picture, Madam decides to retire throwing her talk show into disarray. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can't have a madam's place without a madam. Well, like you said earlier in the episode, Chico, we're talking about an old bag. Maybe Hollywood's just a little discriminating. That's terrible. No, you shouldn't be discriminating against old people, guys. I like you, G-Man. G-Man's got respect for the elder. Episode 45. Pinkerton becomes addicted to a television soap opera. Comedian Rip Taylor forces Madam to play straight man to him when he appears on her talk show. <laughs> oh, you know it's going to be a good episode when Rip Taylor comes by. Oh, everybody loves when he throws that confetti. I love G-Man takes the confetti. And we actually have a name playing another guest on the talk show. She's not given a name. She's called Beaver Advocate. Beaver Advocate. Wait, you tell me like, that's his, That's her uh, actual name. Beaver Advocate. Well, no, that, that, that's not her actual name. She's sort of like uh, one of those, I don't want to say naturalist people or PETA people, but you know, she, she's an activist for beavers. Does that make sense to you there, G-Man? Yes, I, I, I completely understand that. So, so what you're saying is she's an uh, advocate for, for Jerry Mavers? <laughs> yeah, she's an advocate for Jerry Mavers. We'll keep it at that. Okay. Playing that beaver advocate, or Jerry Mavers' advocate, as G-Man uh, wants to believe, is Andy Matheny. If you remember the show Quick Wits from about 27 years ago, sort of like Whose Line Is It Anyway, before Whose Line Is It Anyway was on American soil, she hosted that. Yeah, it's like somebody in Chicago was looking at Whose Line Is It Anyway. They couldn't get the rights to Whose Line, so they just said, going to make my own Whose Line. With Blackjack and Hookers. And Wayne Brady. And Jonathan Mangum. And Jack McBrayer. Yeah, a lot of quality names in that cast. Episode 46. Sarah Joy is hypnotized into becoming more assertive, which turns her into a completely different person. 
Arsenio Hall appears on Madam's show. <laughs> and this makes sense because Madam was an occasional a character that appeared on Solid Gold. And where would Arsenio Hall have been in 1982? On, on Solid, Solid Gold. Gold. There you go. Episode 47. When a fan letter berates her physical appearance, Madam hires a makeover consultant who prescribes a complete overhaul. Comedian Fred Travelina guest stars on Madam's show. So we know Fred Travelina's on here, but we got a name playing the makeover consultant named Rhoda Royale. Fern Fitzgerald. Do I really, guys? Dallas? Oh, okay. Yeah. And she was also on... I believe two weeks of Match Game Hollywood Square's Hour. Episode 48. The household goes to extremes to raise funds when the media reports that Madam is bankrupt. Comedian Scatman Crothers guest stars on Madam's talk show. So obviously we have Scatman Crothers on this. But she's going bankrupt. What's going to happen to the mansion? What's going to happen to the talk show? What's going to happen to Pinkerton? What's going to happen to Sarah Joy? Seriously. Maybe she'll actually have to wear clothes. I'm sorry. Episode 49. This one's a bizarre episode. I think I said earlier that some of these get like sort of out of left field. This is an episode that's out of left field. And when you hear the description, maybe you can make a tie to something that was very popular in 1982. An extraterrestrial steals into the mansion with the objective of melding with Madam so he can bring comedy back to his planet. Does this look like anything? (laughs) One or two episodes of Doctor Who, perhaps the entire run of Elf? Uh, I was talking about a certain movie in 1982. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. An extraterrestrial goes to Madam's place. Boy, what was the big movie in 1982? Just saying. And the worst video game of 1983. Also just saying that too. Oh yeah, the G-Man, he did not like that Atari 2600 game. It sucked. It was not a good game. No. Episode 50, a bumbling inspector takes charge after Madam's iconic life-size portrait is stolen. We have a name for the inspector. Oh, and remember, it's a bumbling inspector. So when you hear a bumbling inspector, you think of Inspector Clouseau. Well, in this episode, he's called Inspector Putzo or Putzo. Because he's a putz. Because he's a putz, exactly. Played by Vito Scotti. He was in Get Shorty. He was in The Godfather. He played a stereotypical Italian cat in one of my favorite Disney movies, The Aristocats. He was basically, again, stereotyping, but also typecasting at the same time. He was that Italian guy from that TV show or that movie no longer with us, passed away in 1996. Episode 51. While Pinkerton is on vacation, his twin brother, an uncultivated biker named Chopper, 
drops in to pay his respects. Actor singer Jerry Reed guest stars on Madam's Place. The twin brother was actually played by Johnny Hamer. So he played two roles. He played Chopper and he played Pinkerton. Episode 52. And there's actually a name on this episode. Madam gets audited by the IRS. I wonder what happens. Madam is audited by the Internal Revenue Service, which becomes sticky when Mr. Honest shows up to throw light on every white lie she tells. Madam's a liar? What? I'm shocked. I'm shocked, too. She sounds like such an upstanding citizen. Nobody have noted in this episode. Going to episode 53. Mr. Honest seeks Madam's help in ferreting out the identity of his secret admirer. Comedian Alice Ghostly visits Madam's show, revealing their long-standing rivalry after decades of competing for the same roles. Obviously, Alice Ghostly is herself in this episode. Episode 54. Feeling his midlife crunch, Pinkerton accepts an offer to train an up-and-coming female prize fighter. And playing the prize fighter Kid Kelly is Donna Pontaretto. Not really known for much of anything. She's had occasional roles for many, many years, but has not been on uh, many episodes of a singular TV show. And then episode 55, this is where it gets a little kind of weird. The reason I say that we don't have a capsule for this, but it is available online. Presuming it's episode 55, the last episode, there's no other ones missing or or anything like that. What happened in this episode is a vampire wanted to be a guest on Madam's Place. And he would do anything to be on the show. And actually, since he's a vampire, he sucked the blood out of Madam. What? He He's a vampire. He sucked the... Well, I know, it's, it's a puppet, but he sucked the blood out of Madam. Well, how is that scientifically possible? This is fiction, G-Man. Don't ask me these really tough questions this Look, late at night. G-Man just wants to get some logic. How can a puppet have blood? Now, I get that. Well, maybe the blood is maple syrup. I don't know. So, Madam, after she's bit, she becomes pale. Like, he sucked all the blood out of her. She's almost like gray in color for most of this episode after the vampire sucks the blood out of her. He gets on the show and actually does uh, some performing, does a song. And also in this episode, in the Madden's Place segment, Hall of Fame candidate. This is a person whose resume is saying he may be in the hall sooner rather than later. Carl Ballantyne who we talked about on One in a Million, basically, again, typecasting him as a magician in many of the shows that he was on. And believe it or not, on Madden's Place, he was doing magic. But the bigger name is the vampire. Playing the vampire, Bill Kirkenbauer from Just the Ten of Us. Yeah, I can totally see that. I could see him as a vampire. I could see he was one of those vampires who hosts the late night movie scream shows, but I totally see him as a vampire. And the crazy thing is, neither Carl Ballantyne's IMDb 
nor Bill Karkenbauer's IMDb mention this episode. So is it lost? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily lost because Bill Karkenbauer actually uploaded on his YouTube channel this episode, but it's not part of the episode guide. So maybe it was skipped by USA when they did reruns or something. I don't know. So what happened to the show? I think one big thing, first off, this was a late night TV show. Even though, as I mentioned at the start of the show, back in the day, USA reran this at like 1130 in the morning, back around 1986. And amazingly enough, this reran on USA as late as 1990. It reran at like two in the morning, but it was still airing on USA as late as 1990. Taking a look at local listings and uh, listings elsewhere, this show tended to air after the news. 11.30, midnight. Looked like on WOR in New York, it aired like about 10 o'clock. So yeah, this definitely is not a show for the kids. This is one for the adults, even though, again, a puppet is the main character. Not a cutesy-wootsy puppet. Obviously, it just didn't take off. But also, at the same time, if it's airing at the 11.30 slot, what's it going up against? Um, the Tonight Show. That's all you need to say right there. That's the only answer I was looking for. I mean, it may have been going up against, like, Thick of the Night or some other late-night talk shows, whatever ABC had at that point. Uh, it would have had Fridays at that point, obviously. So, yeah, uh, it was probably dead in the water. And we got apparently about 11 weeks of episodes out of it. But it did have longevity. Like I said, it aired for some time on USA. Well, every episode presumably is on YouTube because some intrepid viewer back in 1989, 1990, recorded apparently almost every episode of Madam's Place. There appear to be two episodes this person was a guest. But he had every other episode, minus episode 14 and minus whatever number episode the vampire episode was, if that was 55 or somewhere else in the mix. Uh, and I mentioned last week that we'd be mentioning the name Brad Lockman. We talked about Brad Lockman being a very prolific producer and also the son of Mort Lockman. This was one of his first TV shows under his production company which actually makes sense if you think about it because didn't he also do the latter seasons of solid gold he did solid gold yes well again there's the connection between madam and arsenio hall and it's all intertwining together beautifully yes but he's done many things I, i mentioned a lot of those worlds most outrageous whatever it is that fox used to air back in the day uh, you know, the news outtakes, the uh, the funniest animals, when animals attack. Yeah, you know, all that sort of 
reality-ish TV stuff that aired on Fox back in the late 90s and early 2000s. But yeah, that's just about it for this show. 55 episodes didn't last that long. They tried. Maybe it was a little too racy for TV, especially in 1982. And in the end, Madam's Place, sadly, it just became a thing on TV. Well, Mike, I have to hand it to you. That was loads better than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle comedy show. So I'm one for three. One and a half. I liked You Don't Know Jack. So I'm batting 500. Okay, good. That gets me in the Hall of Fame of baseball. So good. I don't know if Greg would agree with you, but I think we definitely have at least a 333 batting average. A 333 batting average will still get you some Hall of Fame votes. No, it'll get you in the Hall of Fame. G-Man, you wanted to say something? Yeah, guys, uh, I hate to interrupt you, but my page is going up. I gotta leave now. Oh, no. Oh, man. Oh, my God. I wish I would stay with you guys, but you know what? Uh, I'm getting getting paged. I gotta go. uh, I got my 90s beeper here. You know, everybody I know has these 90s beepers, right? Yeah. Just nod your head, Chico. Just nod your head. Yeah, okay. All right, well, I gotta go, guys. It was nice talking to you guys. I hope I'll see you guys again soon. Hey, you know where we are. Yeah. Yeah, All right. We're not going anywhere. Okay, cool. All right, see you later, guys. All right, G-Man. All right, see you, G-Man. What the hell just happened? I will ask the question again. What the hell just happened? Hey, guys. Are we doing recurring character night? No, get out of here, Whammy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, that's my money in the bank. Just off the rails a little bit tonight. We'll try better next episode. Or what you can do is you can go to our website where you can listen to the previous 353 episodes at itwasathingontv.com. We have all our episodes there. We have our live shows. We have our mini-sodes. We have everything. Uh, The Presents episodes. Plenty of stuff to listen to. We're really coming close to like 500 total episodes. We're almost halfway to 1,000. I think that's absolutely amazing. And next week, we're not going to add one show to that total or two shows or even three shows. We're going to do four shows. Next week, we're going to talk about a number of shows that were revived. One based on a 60s pop culture classic. One spinoff of a 90s 2000s tv show that just didn't hold up as well as the original show and then we have a live show chico and greg if he returns they're going to talk about the new season of the mandalorian the season three premiere yep that drops out disney plus march 1st by the way so that'll actually be out by the time you hear this, since this will hey. be released on the 2nd. Hey, guys, I'm back. 
Hey, we were just talking about watching The Mandalorian live. Oh, cool. How'd the G-Van do while he's gone? He was adequate. Just don't ask him about his opinion on the old Love American style. Just don't. Just trust me on this. Okay, well. All right, I'll take your word for it. You gotta love his 90s beeper, though. <laughs> Is it the Kelly Rowland beeper that has Microsoft Excel on it? Not quite, but I wish it was. And also next week, besides the live show for The Mandalorian Season 3 premiere and the two new shows, we're going to be doing the second annual installment of a certain event. I don't want to give it away, but some of the names you heard in this episode, they're going to be enshrined. And it isn't just on this episode. Like, throughout the course of the three and a half years of shows we've done, we've mentioned plenty of names. Some have been enshrined. Some are going to be enshrined soon. Some may be enshrined in future years. That's enough of a hint as to what uh, is going to be coming up next week. In the meantime, don't forget, we're on YouTube at It Was a Thing on TV. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification bell to stay updated with all our updates. And also, we're creating custom playlists. And Greg, you just added one a couple of days ago, right? Yeah, that's right. I made a custom playlist of animal-themed episodes we've done on this podcast. Oh, good. So we can re-listen to Meow Manor, Gary Busey, Pit Justice. Well, Pit Judge, but Pit Justice. Yeah. The Bunny. Greg the Bunny and Greg, oh yeah, and Mr. Smith. Can we love our discussion about Bobo? And of course, as we mentioned uh, last week, we're revisiting Mr. Smith this fall. Yes, that's going to be a great episode. I've seen oh. some of the episodes on there. Oh yeah, this is definitely worthy of being revisited. Oh yeah, I can't wait to talk about Mr. Smith rescues Bobo. That's a great episode. I, I th- that is that's worth the price of admission right there. Also, don't forget we're on the socials, not just YouTube. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram at It Was a Thing on TV. On Facebook, we're at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. Don't forget if you do any sort of reviews, if you like us, you know, give us five stars. You know, positive vibes. We appreciate your support of the podcast. With that, I think we're going to close the book on my Money in the Bank pick. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Chico. Thank you to the G-Man. Thank you for returning, Greg. And thank you for listening. We will see you next time with plenty of good stuff right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Take care. Have a great rest of your week. Roll us out, Greg. G-Man in the house! <laughs> Get ready for the funniest, most outrageous new show of the year. Welcome to Gossip House for Me. She's Hollywood's hottest hysterical yeah. star. The best of me is still waiting for Burt Reynolds. With an absolutely devoted following. 
look here. This is your moon. A chance to see my old moon. Really, Solaria, I want to see what's ahead, not what's behind. Oh. Starting in oh. September, everyone will be watching Madam's Place. <laughs>